Tonight we're going to continue in the subject that we have been talking about and in the vein that we have talk, been talking. David, in his 84th Psalm, made a very profound statement as songwriters have jumped on board and they have penned words, uh, penned the words of David and put it to music in different ways and different melodies, but he simply says that one day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand days spent in the world. David is very qualified to say this because we have to understand the background of David and understand the law and recognize, and for time's sake tonight, I will not take you through every scripture to give you scriptural reference for everything that we're going to, to say tonight, but would be glad to do so at another time or privately with you if you have questions regarding this. But the, the Old Testament law was is that a child could not, a child that was born out of wedlock broke the ability for one to be able to enter into the temple to worship. And it was until uh, multiple generations that had to pass. I believe it, w- it was, I believe, ten generations that had to pass. And after the tenth generation would pass, the, the curse was then broken, and again, they could enter back into the house of the Lord. If we do the research back from David, we would clearly say, see that David's generation was the first generation following a wicked, sinful act that prevented his family from being able to be in the house of the Lord and to come into the presence of God. And so now David enters into the house of the Lord. And upon entering into the house of the Lord, David makes several statements. One of the statements David makes regarding the house of the Lord, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And we could go on and on. David over and again talks about the the blessing and the joy of the house of the Lord because David had had an understanding of, of the value of the house of the Lord in his life. What a blessing it was. And may I add what a blessing it still is. Because it is the house of the Lord where we find many things that we need. In the very beginning of this series of lessons, we begin to talk about Josiah who was rebuilding the house of the Lord and he found what had been missing. And the truth is, is Josiah only found it because he was Doing And so I propose to you tonight to stay in theme with what we have been talking about. It is people who build their lives around the house of the Lord. And when they are doers in the house of the Lord, not just attenders, but doers, people who get involved in what's going on in the house of the Lord, they build relationships with people in and around the house of the Lord. Their family's life is around the house of the Lord, and they are busy 
doing the work of the Lord. Those people will always be people that are bought in. The reason is, is because there is so much they find that cannot be found anywhere but in the house of the Lord. You can find peace in the house of the Lord. You can find rest in the house of the Lord. You can find hope in the house of the Lord. And so David goes on and on. And we could, we could, I could turn this into a Sunday night sermon and preach uh, my voice out tonight, talking about all the things that you can find in the house of the Lord. But in order to find those things in the house of the Lord, you cannot be distanted from the house of the Lord. But you need to be plugged in to what God is doing. And uh, it's, it's when, I, when I use the term being plugged in, it's not, well, pastor, find something for me to do. Or pastor, plug me in. Oftentimes we use that as an excuse when we are not doing our part to get plugged in. People talk about friends. I can't make friends for you. But he who shows himself friendly will have friends. Those who, those who reach out to others will find people reaching out to them. And so uh, people who, who strive, a lot of times, uh, I, I've, I've said this many, many times, it's not always those with the greatest ability that God uses. It's those with availability. It's those who have been faithful and those who continue to be faithful, and those who just simply show up. You know, I, of course, for many, many years, the church here uh, had a softball team. I think my father-in-law, uh, he and Brother uh, Jerry Hanna Sr., they probably invented uh, softball right after, uh, right after Moses died. And, and so they brought it to CLC. And uh, the church here has such a long history uh, of softball. And that was always, uh, when, when I first uh, moved here 25 years ago, uh, this summer was 25 years, and uh, this, this spring actually was 25 years that I have lived here. And when I first came here, I had never, ever been around a place that was so eaten up with softball as was uh, ABC, remember? And so uh, I wasn't, I played softball, but I was not necessarily the softball player. I was learning the game. I was trying, I enjoyed it. I liked it. I uh, enjoyed being part of it. And, and here's what I learned. Uh, Brother Coffinberry, I, I wasn't the most talented player because there's some really great players here, guys that are really, really good. And I know you like softball. Um, so, you know, you would have probably been one of those walk-on guys because, you know, you like softball, you play softball. I, however, I showed up and I was sitting on the end of the bench praying that somebody wouldn't show up so I could get put in the game. And, and uh, was just thankful to get to be in the game and uh, didn't always make the game but, but strived to do my best. And I learned that just being faithful, being there, would, would get me put in the game occasionally. And so, uh, so it's true in the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's as much about faithfulness. I, I, I was bragging the other day on some of the accomplishments and some of the people here in the church that have been so faithful and that have labored and worked so hard. And, and uh, I, I, I'll give honor where honor's due. Um, through the years, I, I recall um, 
in my early days here at Christian Life Church and in my very early years, uh, the very the, the hard, hard work of some of our elders. And uh, to see them show up and to work and labor, of course, then they were my age and now they're a little older. And so, so are we. Uh, to see the, the, the work and the labor. I, I recall... I recall showing up on Wednesday night Bible studies and, and um, 30 and 35 people that would be here on Wednesday night. And the faithfulness of Brother Danny and Sister Cheryl have been such an example. And I, I give honor to them tonight because their faithfulness. Uh, I look back at 12 years ago, uh, 12 and a half years ago almost now, uh, when I came here as pastor, and we would come in on a Wednesday night, maybe have 30, 40 people that would be here on Wednesday night, our Wednesday night crowd. And, and uh, Sunday was, was uh, much better, but our Wednesday night crowd, not always so. And uh, that was before we had youth programs and children's programs on Wednesday night to give the kids something to do. And so uh, those things have helped us be able to grow our Wednesday night crowd. And I recall coming on Wednesday nights, and the same motivation and the same energy and the same passion that we experienced tonight as Brother Danny was leading and Sister Cheryl were playing and as they were leading us in worship, I remember that same dedication and that same faithfulness and that same labor and that same work. When when the choir, I, I recall uh, I looked up Sunday night and uh, man, didn't the travel choir, did that not inspire you Sunday night? I was so inspired, I was so, but all I could do was cry. And uh, I was over here worshiping and the tears were flowing and, I, and it was tears of joy and thanksgiving as I looked up here and I saw, uh, I don't even know how many were up there, but the platform was huge, uh, just packed full of people and, and uh, as they were singing and I was blown away in the power that they had as they were singing, but I remember, I remember, Sister Nancy, when there was a handful of us, and you and Sister Cindy and myself and Sister Sheila, and uh, I'm sure I'm missing some, but a handful that would make up a six or eight or ten voice choir, and we were doing great when we broke ten. And we were thrilled when we got to that point. But see, I remember those, I remember those days when we were in the formidable years. And so today, when I look up and see a 40 or 50 voice choir on the platform singing, it's exciting and thrilling because I remember, I remember the work and the labor that went into it that got us to where we are. And the faithfulness of people that that stayed with it and helped us to grow and and to to continue to become more than what we were and to not be satisfied with 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 status quo and always striving to do better. I want to tell you that great churches are made up of faithful people. Great churches are made up of people that don't have quit in them but have a whole lot of grit in them. And make up their mind, we're going to stand and we're going to continue to sing and continue to worship and continue to be faithful no matter the highs and the lows. And how many of you have been around long enough to know that the churches goes through highs and we go through lows? 
It just is part of life. We have ups and we have downs. Go through the book of Acts and you'll see that very thing in the church. You're going to see times when the church is having great victory, when they're having great revival and then it's just a few days and somebody's put in jail and and the church is, is praying for their release and then the miracle of release happens and then somebody's put to death. And it's one, one exciting day and one revival and one great miracle and then a great valley and a great storm. It's just the way that life is. We all go through the ups and the downs of life, but it is faithful people that stick with it through it all, that build churches that are able to have a real impact in their, in their world and in their society. And so David begins to speak about the house of the Lord. And he went on to say, he said, I'm the lowest servant in God's house. But being the lowest servant in God's house is better than living in the palaces of the wicked, he says. I would rather be one day in the house of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. And then he goes on to say, I would rather be the lowest servant in the house of the Lord rather than to live in the palace of of wickedness. Simply put, your worst day living for God is better than the best day living in the world. When the choir sings that song, when the praise team sings that song, better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. That songwriter was all the way back then because they understood something about the house of the Lord. So I ask you again tonight, how valuable is God's house in your life? How valuable are the things of God? In your life. The Bible says, gives us a story, and it says it like this that she came from afar. How she heard about this king named Solomon can we can only speculate. Jesus said the woman came from the uttermost parts of the earth to see the son of the great King David. Jesus called her the Queen of the South. She was from the land of Sheba. The queen was on a quest to satisfy her curiosity about King Solomon. Were the stories that she had heard about King Solomon, were they more fictional than legend? She had heard about the great king and the powerful blessings of the king's house and what had befallen on the son of David. And she heard of the wealth that he had inherited from his conquering father. Stories had been told of how that caravans laden with gifts from distant kings came from around the world into Solomon's courts every day. She had heard the story about how that God had spoken to this king and offered him anything but how that Solomon simply asked for wisdom. While the rest of the world would have asked for riches and the riches of Solomon, Solomon asked for the, for the wisdom of the Lord and what wisdom it was. 
his words of wisdom and proverbs are have already now taken the world by storm and the queen of sheba had already had also heard of his worship and how that at the dedication of this temple that he had offered 22,000 oxen Remember the temple that I told you about, eight and a half billion dollars worth of temple that he had built, that the vast majority, some 90 plus percent of the things that went into the temple were laid up by David himself. And at the dedication of the temple, 22,000 oxen, can you imagine eating 22,000 cows? And not only that, but 120,000 sheep were killed and offered to his God. The Bible said, And when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, that she came to prove him with hard questions. 1 Kings chapter 10. She didn't come to see architecture. She didn't come to see Solomon's house. She came to get her questions answered. Solomon's temple was one of the largest structures of the day. It spanned 180 feet long and 90 feet wide and 50 feet high. That was huge in that day. Some of the remaining foundation stones were so large that modern engineers cannot figure out how they were laid in the first place. No expense was spared. Gold blanketed everything. 3,300 men oversaw the efforts. The expense was so great that Solomon had to pay off the king of Hiram by giving him 20 towns in Galilee. Think about that. The man owned 20 towns and had it to give. And he had to give the 20 towns away just to pay for the expense of this one house of worship. He spent seven years building the house of the Lord. And he spent twice as long building his own house. But it wasn't the great architecture that intrigued this queen. She came to get her questions answered. This is what we've got to understand. It is in God's house where we get our questions answered. So many of the things that you wonder about and ponder in your mind, it's, let me tell you where you're going to find the answers. It's not in a ballroom or a bar room. But what you're, where you're going to find your questions answered is right in the house of the Lord. It's where the answer of what must I do to be saved, it's going to be answered right here in the house of the Lord. What about my sin issue? It's answered right here in the house of the Lord. Where do I go when I feel like I can't go any further? You go to the house of the Lord. How do I cope with the tragedies of life? You you go to the house of the Lord and you find what you're looking for. How do I defeat the enemy in the middle of the, the wars and the battles and the struggles of life? 
when the, the, the storms of life become overwhelming, what, what do I do and where do I turn? You find the answer in the house of the Lord. These kinds of questions, ladies and gentlemen, can only be answered in the house of the Lord. Then, watch this. In Solomon's great temple, entering in, there's two massive columns at the entrance of God's house. One he named Boaz, and the other he called Jachin. Boaz and Jachin. The word Boaz means strength. The word Jachin means God's direction. Did you get that? Because at the entering in of the house of the Lord are two pillars that he calls Boaz and Jachin. God is strength and God is direction. Because where you find strength and where you find direction is in the house of the Lord. I want to lay this microphone down and do a lap right about now. Because in the house of the Lord I find direction and I find strength. That's why it's important even when we're weary to be in the house of the Lord. Even when we're tired to be in the house of the Lord. Because it's here I find strength. Some folks lay out of church and then they say, well, I don't know. I'm just trying to find direction. It's here you find it. In the house of the Lord you find strength and you find direction. You get whatever you need in the house of the Lord. And you get it when you're busy doing you can't come and be a spectator, but you've got to be a participator. You want your questions answered? Be a worshiper. I was sitting here on the front row tonight. We were singing worship, and I kind of looked around over my left shoulder, saw people standing during worship service on Wednesday night. You know what? Somebody's looking for their strength. Somebody's looking for their direction. It's here that you find it when you engage in the activity of the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord can't always be about work. It can't always be about play. We've got to find balance. We can't always be about social events. Some folks, some folks want to come for the want to come for the good Sunday dinners. And boy, we have some good ones. Holiday dinners and oh, we can enjoy the, the groceries. And somebody said, Well, you want to have good church, good good size service, just let's have on let's have a special dinner and people are going to show up. That's true. That's why some people will come. But don't ever get caught up coming for the fishes and loaves. Don't ever get caught up coming to the house of the Lord and saying, well, I'm, I'm just coming for the activities. I'm just coming for the kids program. I'm just coming for the choir song. I'm just coming for the drama. But we've got to show up to the house of the Lord knowing that I'm showing up here to give him glory, give him praise. And when we come to give him everything we have, he will in return reach down. Brother Denny was all over what I'm talking about right now tonight and leading the, leading the service tonight because when the praises of God go up, the glory of God comes down. And when we engage in what God is doing, you can promise God is going to engage in what's important to our lives. It's just how God works. Strength and direction in the house of the Lord. Let me move tonight. I'm going to, I'm going to do a little skipping because last week I dropped way behind where I had intended to be. I love it when that happens. It's in the house of the Lord. There's inspiration in the house of the Lord. It is the glory of the Lord's 
house. So here's what we've got to understand. That when the queen of Sheba shows up and she begins to ask the questions. It, it, in the early parts of that passage of that story, it appears that she's coming to see the sights of the temple and she was in awe of Solomon and it seems that she's coming to, to discover his wisdom and it seems that she's coming to see all of the grandeur of his authority and of his leadership. But when she gets there, it wasn't the palace, it wasn't the temple, it wasn't the architecture, it wasn't even the great wisdom of Solomon that she was looking for. But what impressed her the most was the God of the house of the Lord. Nebuchadnezzar, it wasn't the spirit of the gods, little g. It was the spirit of the almighty God. The queen of Sheba, it was the, wasn't the wisdom of Solomon. It was the glory of the almighty God. And when she saw what she saw, she left. And her words were, and the half has not even been told. Let me tell you what people who engage in the house of the Lord and who value the house of the Lord, it's people, it's people who, who will leave and tell folks, you know what, you got to come to church with me. Well, tell me about my church. Listen, you just got to come and experience it for yourself. Oh, I was in a restaurant a few weeks ago, and we were sitting in the restaurant, and somebody came in and started talking to me. And we were having good conversation, and they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. i got to ask you a question. What is it about your church? And he started qualifying and started talking about, he said he's a member of a particular denominal church, and he begins to tell me this church, and it's declined, and it's down, and it has 60 members, and then this church across town, and this church out in the out in the county and he starts going through and talking about all these churches in decline and he said, but you, you guys are building. He said, what, what is it? I said, man, I can't explain it to you. You just going to have to come see it for yourself. You just got to come experience it for yourself. And he kind of looked at me funny. I said, listen, I can't put into words what God is doing. But I said, I promise you, if you'll just come and sit down and enjoy what God is doing one time, you're gonna, you're, God's going to speak some things to you, and you're going to clearly begin to understand what God is doing in the church. Listen, I'm, I'm in a network of, of, of several thousand preachers, and we communicate in and out and around, and some of the communication that is going on, it is not in one city. It is not in one area. It is not in one state, but there is a revival that is sweeping across the country. Let me remind you of what God is doing right here in our city. And, and I made a statement on a forum that I'm part of, a minister's forum that I made a statement this week. I said, I want some of you to stop right now and rejoice with me 
and, and I was just recanting some of the things that, that the Lord has been doing. And I was reminded that uh, where we are in this, in this year, and do you understand that on an average, that we have averaged this year over one person receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost Every week throughout the year, we have had over 40 people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost this year. That is over a one per week average. That is not average. God is doing some awesome things. And it's not just here. I made the post and it just lit up with people from all over the country. I'm praising God with you. Here's our report. Praising God with you. Here is our report. And all over the country, hundreds and thousands and thousands of people that are receiving the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name. Churches having revival. And then we continue the, the, the discussion and talk about it, are, are other churches in your area? Are the denominal churches growing? And they all admit they are in decline. But God is harvesting people in the, in the true Jesus name church for the sake of saving them before it is too late. And so here we are in these last times, in these last days, experiencing the prophetic end time revival. And if you don't believe what God is doing, just open your eyes and look around you. Because it is happening around the country. God is doing awesome things. God is doing awesome things. I'm glad to be part of the church. I'm glad to be where I can find strength and I can find direction. The scripture said, the New Living Translation says it like this of the Queen, in, uh, of, the queen of Sheba. It says that when she saw all the glory of God's house, here's the words that were used. It took her breath away. Some versions talk about she fell or she collapsed. The New Living Translation says she, it took her breath away. She was in such awe of what God is doing. Here's my challenge to you. If you are not in awe of the house of the Lord. Engage. Get involved in what God is doing. And when you engage and you begin doing and you get involved in what the Lord is doing, let me, let me talk to some Josiahs here who maybe have not been raised up in an environment where you, you have to be doing. Maybe the environment was, let's just let the church go and we do our thing and the church does it, its thing. And that kind of attitude leaves the church in decay. But Josiah comes into reign and he begins doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. And by doing what he could do, the book was found in the, in the revival of, of Hezekiah's day his great-great-grandfather's day now comes to him. It jumps several generations to come to him. I believe that we are in that generation. We are in the last days, the end-time revival, when God truly is pouring out his spirit. Engage in what God is doing, and you will begin to see things you never saw before. She was amazed. She was in wonder. I believe that's how it ought to be. We ought to come to the house of the Lord and just be in wonder. 
just be amazed at what God is doing. But too often we come to God's house and we're looking to be entertained. We're looking for the wrong things. We're looking for things to satisfy the flesh. I had somebody tell me one time, Whoo, I'm glad I'm at church tonight. I have worked so hard all week, I'm just ready to sit down and relax. And that's all right. That's all right. I do understand because that's that one of the benefits of having a bivocational pastor for many years of working and coming to church on Wednesday night after working all week. I understand the feeling of showing up to church on Wednesday night being tired. So we all have to admit we've all been where that person was. Oh, don't look at me like that. Don't get all self-righteous on me. We've all come and thought, whew, I just need to sit down and relax. But I want to tell you that you can't come to God's house and just sit down and relax. But we have to be engaged in what God is doing. We've got to be sensitive to what God is doing. We've got to be worshiping, and we've got to offer to him a sacrifice. And when we offer to him a sacrifice, get ready, because all heaven is going to come down, and God will honor your sacrifice. Let me ask you some questions about God's house. Where else can the ashes of mourning be transformed into the oil of gladness? Where are you going to find that kind of that kind of blessing. Where, where else can you exchange the spirit of heaviness for a garment of praise but in the house of the Lord? Where else can you enter one way and leave another other than the house of the Lord? Where else can you walk in spiritually or emotionally lame and walk out whole? Where else can you come blind and leave with heaven in view? Where else can you come empty and leave full? Nowhere but the house of the Lord. Because in God's house, you will always leave with more than what you came with. If you leave with less than what you came, it's because you came with the wrong mindset. We've got to enter the house of the Lord with an attitude of I'm honored to be in the house of the Lord. I would rather have this moment in God's house than a thousand days elsewhere. Regardless of the fine gifts that that Sheba brought, Solomon gave her far more to take back with her than what she brought. That's a clear picture of the house of the Lord. Does it sound familiar to you? Whatever we bring, we leave with more than what we came with. And she experienced it and she saw it and it took her breath away and she says the half has never been told. Now I must transition now into the book of Haggai, the second chapter and the ninth verse because the scripture says it like this, In in Haggai 2 and 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, saith 
the Lord of hosts. Here's the issue. That glorious, grand, beautiful temple that I've spent two weeks talking about, this incredible facility was awesome. It was glorious to look at, but yet it was destroyed and it was brought down and it was made nothing but rubble. When they began to rebuild the temple, the elders came in and began to weep over the temple and said, this temple, this temple is just not going to be arrayed like the former temple. It doesn't have the jewels and it doesn't have the gold and it doesn't have the, the silver and the labor and the work has not gone into it and it is not, it is not pleasing to the eye like, like the original temple. It's just never going to do. I could hear them now looking at one another saying, boy, they just don't build them like they used to. I could see somebody else getting together saying, boy, the church just isn't what it used to be. As they murmured and complained about the temple being rebuilt, they're looking and they're mourning, and the Bible says the elders even wept. And the prophet of the Lord come along and said, but the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former. How is that possible? I'm looking at it. I'm seeing it. How is it going to be greater? Because God is going to be manifest in the latter house in greater measure than what he was in the former house. Oh, let me bring this home to you tonight because now what I'm trying to speak to you is that he does not dwell in temples made with hands. But in the hearts of men and women. You and I, he dwells within us for we are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And he abides in me, and I abide in him. He lives in me, and I in him. And therefore, we look around and say, boy, this, you know, this house of worship, it, it just doesn't compare to this place that we read about in Scripture that it took them seven years to build. You know, we're, we're building a building out here and Man, we're, we're cutting every corner we can. I, I've been on the phone all day just beating people up. Price is too high. Got to get cheaper. Got to get a better deal. Been on the phone all day dealing, trying to find contractors and trying to find materials and supplies and calling people and begging them for 50 cents off. Oh, come on, Pastor. The Lord's going to bless us and this building's going to have to have rubies and diamonds. Oh, no. Because that's just a place we that's just a place we gather. In that same building, we may play basketball. We talked about it last week. In that same building, we're gonna eat some fish. We got a fish fry coming up. We're going out to the fairgrounds. I hope this is the last year at the fairgrounds. I pray that by next time we're ready to go to the to the new to the new building. And we're gonna be having dinners and wedding receptions and Whatever we need to do, we're just going to be having all sorts of, oh, that, that building, how are we going to ever have church without the elaborate 
makings of the temple because that's just the place we worship. But ladies and gentlemen, he dwells within us. And so we need to array our lives with the beauty of holiness. Now we've laid some groundwork for where the Lord really wants to take us to, and that is looking at our own lives and recognizing in our, our own lives where we need to go and what we need to do. Next week we're going to transition out of this series completely and move, but I'm going to stay kind of in form of what we're talking about. But the Lord is preparing you and preparing I, myself, all of us. He is getting us ready because He is coming back for a bride that has made herself ready for the assembly of the people of God. The church of God is the bride of Christ. And he's coming back for a bride that has made herself ready, that has adorned herself with godliness and with holiness. Don't ever think that your lifestyle of separation, your lifestyle of holiness, your lifestyle of consecration, your lifestyle of prayer, don't ever think that those things are not benefiting you. Oh, you're getting ready for that great day when he's going to look at you. And it's not going to matter at that point what other people say. We all care what people say about us. You know why we're always painting on the house and making the house look better? It's not always because we're afraid it's going to fall down. I mean, come on, we don't need those fancy curtains to keep the house from falling down. And if you're really worried about people looking in your windows, you could always just, you know, stick a sheet up there. But we all know why we do those things, because we're trying to impress people that don't care. We want to have nice things. We want to impress people. That's why we do so much of what we do. But when it really all comes down to it, it really doesn't matter what people think about us. It matters what he thinks about us. And when we stand before him, I want to be a clean temple of the Holy Ghost. I want to be a place that has adorned itself. with. I, I want to be a temple that has adorned his, his, my, myself for his return. And I have put on godliness and righteousness and the gifts of the Spirit uh, and the fruits of the Spirit has manifested itself in my life. And I manifest love, joy, peace, righteousness, long-suffering. All of the gifts of the, uh, the, the fruits of the Spirit have been manifest in my life because because it's all about pleasing Him. Because I am a temple of the Holy Ghost. And that's why we must be careful at what people see in us and see through us because we are the representation of the place where God dwells. To your family, I talked to Sister Paula today and she was talking about spending some time with her family. And she said, maybe they'll just see some light. They can't help but see some light, Sister Paula, because there's a great light shining in you. And when they're around you, they're going to see a great light shining in you and in your life. They can't help it. You know what the world knows about Christian Life Church? You know what they know? It's what they know in you. You know what they know about God? For many of them, it's what they see in you. And it's your spirit and it's your attitude and it's how you're adorning yourself with the fruits of the Spirit in your own life, that's what they know about Him. 
It's not about the chandeliers and it's not about the fancy lights and it's not about the fancy organs and music and and, and sound systems and padded pews. And I thank God for all the comforts and all the things that make it enjoy, more enjoyable and make it easier on us. God bless uh, everything that we have. Keep blessing, Lord. We, we thank you for it. But really what matters is that God shows up. And really what matters is what the world sees, not inside this building. And I think I've already established we need to have the best place, this place, we ought to take better care of this place than we do our own house. This, this is a place we come. We need to take good care of it. We need to re- let it represent all the good things. But what really matters is the God that is in the house and what they see in us that we may be able to lead them. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Oh, I don't want people to see, to look at me. They are looking at you, and the Bible says they're looking at you. And the Bible says the way sinners are going to be saved is by looking at you because you are a light to the world. And they're watching your life, and they're listening to your conversation, and they're watching your attitude, even on the bad days. Woo! Even when things go wrong, they're watching your attitude. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify the Father. Stand with me tonight. God bless you. Thank you for your attention. Thank you for your faithfulness to the house of the Lord. I pray that the Lord blesses you, that he adorns your life. Oh, it's great if he adorns your life with silver and gold and riches. That's wonderful, but that isn't going to get you to heaven. But what's going to get you saved is adorning yourself with his beauty, with his righteousness. Let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight for your glory. Thank you for your house. Thank you for your good people. Lord, we're grateful tonight, Lord, for every person that is in the room tonight. Bless, Lord, every home and every family. And throughout this week, Lord, continue to bless us.